Tell me this last one. What, what was the story, Garvin? Uh, in the Texas. Yeah. Unreligious, pretty much unchurched. The least, least people here going to church, signing up to be Christians, anywhere in Australia. Um, what an achievement! <laughs> and, and part of me goes, so what do you do with that? How do you connect with these people who are not really interested in what you're selling? It was about uh, about 2003 that uh, we set off to plant a church, and we've been new pastors up at Lesmoney Baptist, and we thought. You know, I had this burning thing inside me that I wanted to plant a church. I, just, I was getting really frustrated because I was in a church of really nice people, but we were not seeing any adults come to faith. A lot of young people, but not many adults. I didn't realise how easy it was working with young people until I jumped ship and started working with adults. But I said, look, this, this is terrible. In fact, I felt God said to us, go and start a new church. Go and be missionaries in your own country and take these four families with you. Probably said four families from the church taken with you, and we were moved from Lesmerty right up to the northern beaches of Perth, a little suburb called Butler, and go there. And we all bought blocks of land in stage 18A. And the idea was we're going to live within walking distance of each other, we're going to be a missionary community. We were going to live in such a way that when people saw us and when people related to us, they saw Jesus and they were impressed and inspired. And that first slide's probably applicable about now. I had a great plan. But as Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Our plan didn't work. I thought we would just be this really tight knit, beautiful community. And we were a bunch of people who fought and who didn't like each other at times. And when it came to actually sharing faith with people, some people just were not that interested. In fact, I felt like we were bouncing against this really hard secular barrier and we just couldn't seem to penetrate. We were like we were getting punched in the face. The plan wasn't working. I feel like for probably the last 60 years, the church in Australia has been getting punched in the face. You know, probably the 60s onwards. This is what it's been like. We've had to contend with clickers not working. There you go. It's all nice in the 1950s. Do you want to just do it from there? Cool. You can just keep clicking. Not too many things to think about. I'm trying to click and read at the same time. But uh, yeah, back in the 1950s, Australia was probably a nominally Christian country. You know, we, we we talked about ourselves as a Christian country. We'd send the kids to Sunday school. We'd say prayers in 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 school. We'd have scripture in school. Those sort of things. You know, it was kind of a Christian country. There was a sexual revolution in the 60s when our, our Christian values and mores got questioned and people said, oh, I'm not sure you guys are really right about this whole deal. And we come to the, the 80s and the 90s and the rise of postmodern thinking, which is the whole way of looking at the world that goes, huh, so you see it like that? I see it like this. This is my truth. That's your truth. Truth is relevant. Which is a tricky thing if you're a Christian because we tend to think that there is a degree of authority in the scriptures we talk about truth and that sort of started to you know make some of the shake we get into the 2000s and and there's all these scandals with pastors doing dodgy things and there's and there's royal commissions into dodgy things that have gone in the past in, in churches and we look pretty bad we're pretty on the nose and, and uh we're not looked at well by society 
Of course, then along comes COVID and uh, churches decline in numbers. Some people, some churches have very bust ups and fight, and some people never come back. And then we regroup after COVID, and then we get the next sexual revolution, which of course is questions of transgender and where do homosexual people fit into the church and all those sort of questions. We got a whole bunch of things that have come at us. And unfortunately, for the most part, we're seen as the bad guys. We're seen as the people who frown down on other people. And we're not looked on well. My question is, how do we bring the message of Jesus into a world like that? You know, this slide that's up here now, anyone know where this is? You're on the right track. Yeah. That is Tippy's Coffee Shop in Dongra. What do you reckon it used to be? Looks a bit like an old church building, doesn't it? Yeah. Not anymore. You know, as we were travelling around Australia a couple of years back, I was kicking back in bed one night in South Australia. I was just surfing Gumtree, as you do in old country towns sometimes. You never know what you might find. I said, oh, there's a church for sale. 70 grand. Hell, he's dreaming. Yeah, I thought, oh, church, 70 grand. Well, what do we do with the church? Well, it turns out there's a whole bunch of churches for sale all around Australia. How are these? There's a Facebook group called Churches for Sale Australia. Uh, next one. It's quite a nice little church in along New South Wales. Someone's kind of printed it up and made maybe a little reference. There's this one, not so pretty. And then there's this one that looks like an extended toilet block, really. But, you know, all around Australia, people are buying and selling what used to be church buildings and turning them into Airbnbs, turning them into art galleries, private residences, all sorts of things. Church buildings are getting sold and, and, and the church is changing in our world. Now, in Tasmania, the Anglican Church have sold a lot of their buildings to pay for the Royal Commission. So the whole bunch of buildings that are gone in Tasmania. But it's happening here too. And part of the reason it's happening is because of this. Let me show you this slide. It talks about the world we used to live in and the world we live in now. So let me frame it in, in two halves. Christendom, which is a world that kind of revolved around the Christian story. So it kind of started when Constantine became emperor and said, actually, you're all Christians now. If you're under my rule, you are Christians. Imagine how that would work, you know, if uh, Anthony Albanese said, you're all Christians. <laughs> right. That'll work. Uh, it wouldn't work, would it? It didn't work all that well for him either. But that was Christendom, the era when the church was kind of the centre of society and we were given privilege, given buildings, given, uh, given money and wealth and, and all those sort of things. And then from about the 60s onwards, this is the era when the church was marginalised. Uh, even persecuted, and we have to rethink what it means to be the people of God. You know, it used to be that when a developer developed a suburb, they had a block of land set aside for the church or churches. No way today. You pay prime real estate prices for every block of land you want to be in the church. Right? You pay the same as everybody else. Let's keep moving. So the world we've, in which we live has changed massively. And I think if we go back, we can almost say it was like the Christian story was hardwired into the psyche of Australian people way, way back over in the 50s. What's the next slide? Yeah, okay. And, and one of the things, I'm just going to go back to where I was in my head. 
Um, the word mission, when we talk about mission, you know, I don't know what you think of mission, but often when people think mission, they think we want to get these people in our community to come to church. That's really what we want. We want them here. We want to pack the building. Mission comes from the Latin word missio, which means to send. Okay? So Jesus actually never told any people who weren't part of the Christian community to get along to church. That was never part of his deal. But he told us to actually get out there and get amongst it and understand the world in which we live and discern how we communicate the message. So when we think mission, we think send out. We think us going out into the world, connecting with people where they're at. Which is what I want to pick up on from Acts 17 today. So we can't do little Bo Peep. We can't leave them alone and they'll come home, you know, wagging their tail. They won't. They won't. They're not coming. And I think the last 50 years have proven that. So I'm going to go to Acts 17 in a second. Just flick to the next slide. Yeah, we can do away with him. Um, you know who that is? You know the biggest crowd ever at the MCG? 149,000 people. 140,000 people back in 1959 when Billy came. Imagine we invited, imagine Billy was that age again and we invited him to come. How many people do you think we get at the MCG? He's struggling to get a final day test crowd, wouldn't you? <laughs> I think you would. And most of them would be Christians, a bit of nostalgia. Those days have gone. So what I want to do is look at how Paul reaches out to the Athenians when he goes to Athens. And what I want to do is compare it with what he does when he goes to see the Jews. Because the first thing he does, if you look at the, the first half of that chapter 17, he goes to Thessalonica and he goes to meet with the Jews. So when he meets with the Jews, he goes into the synagogue. How do you think the Jews are feeling in the synagogue? Pretty comfortable. It's their place. You know, it's all, it's a, yeah, they know what goes on around here. It's all good. Paul goes and they're sitting there feeling pretty comfortable. And he opens their book. All right, opens the Torah. And he says, hey, guys, have you noticed that in here, that there are all these verses pointing to this bloke called Jesus who's come and died and risen again. And this is, this is telling the story of you. So he's going to a place where they're comfortable, reading their book and helping them see that their Messiah has actually come if they will read the scriptures in this way. When he goes to Athens, he does something completely different. Now, I feel like back in the 60s, or back in the 50s even, when we were expecting people to come to church, maybe that was more like Paul going to the, going to the Jews. And maybe people at least had an understanding of what we're on about. They at least had a bit of sympathy for us, so we invited them to church. It wasn't quite so foreign. Now it feels quite foreign for a lot of people to come to church. It hasn't been on their radar for a long time. Paul goes to Athens, though. And he's done the whole thing with the Jews. So here he goes. He rocks up in, in Greece. Let's flick down to here. And this is unfamiliar territory. So Paul goes there as a trained Pharisee, knowing the Torah very well, knowing that stuff very well. And he walks into Athens, and it's different. And what he noticed, first thing he notices, is a whole bunch of idols. Notices a city that is completely pagan. And if you just pick the next slide up. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. You know, one of the first things I see in Paul's response 
to this world in which he's in now is a sense of distress. So he kind of looks and goes, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. In fact, you know, I just see all this stuff going on and, and, and I worry for these people. It's not a bad thing to feel a sense of distress. If you look at the world around you and you see a whole bunch of things going on that you kind of go, you look at scripture, you look at the world, and you go, these things look quite different. It's not a bad thing to feel a sense of distress, to feel a sense of hurt for the people who are lost. Paul feels a sense of distress. You're allowed to feel the madness and the craziness of our culture. You're just not allowed to stay there, all right? In fact, I think it's good to feel a bit of that distress, that wondering where all this is headed. Seems for every issue you pick these days, you get into an argument. You know, you want to pick Australia Day, you'll get into an argument over that. You want to pick Israel, Gaza, you'll get into an argument over that. Let's talk sexuality. There's an, you know, it's really hard to have a civil conversation because there's so much raging at us. And we hear those phrases like, live your truth. Just do what's right for you. And I think we know that that isn't going to wash for those of us who follow Jesus. So there's a choice. Do we just pull back, hunker down, and just carry on as a church? Or do we kind of go, well, let's figure out how to engage. And obviously I'm going to call you to engage. I want to ask you to think about what, that's, what that looks like. How do we find the common ground on which to relate. Now, I, I love what... Uh, <laughs> you can catch it, that's all right. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this part of the Bible. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's writing about his apostleship and talking about how he goes um, to engage in the world. And he says this. He says, Even though I'm free from the demands and expectations of everyone, I voluntarily become a servant to any and to all in order to range a to reach a wide range of people religious non-religious meticulous moralists loose living immoralists the defeated the demoralized whoever i didn't take on their way of life i kept my bearings in christ but i entered their world and i tried to experience things from their point of view i've become just about every kind of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I love the way he says that. All right? I didn't lose my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and I tried to understand things, experience things from their point of view. For those of us who want to be missionaries in this culture, one of the first things we need to do is listen. Listen to what people are saying. Listen to the questions people are asking. Listen to the statements that people are making. Paul walks around the town and he looks at their architecture, he reads their poets, listens to their music, and he says, okay, you guys are in a whole different field to where the Jews are at. I remember as an 18 year old going, all right, I need to do some evangelism, I'm gonna start my street. And I memorized 10 Bible verses and I was gonna walk this street and convert a bunch of people. Yeah, you laugh, because you know how that went, don't you? Not so well. And that was probably about the 80s, all right? It wasn't, wasn't terrible times back then, but I think people kind of humoured me and smiled and patted me on the head and said, on oh, your way, little boy. 
But I had no time for listening. I just had a spiel that I needed to get out. You know those telemarketers you get on the phone? I got a spiel, I gotta get out. Do you want more business? You know, do you want to get earn more money? I love saying no. Actually, I've got enough. In fact, I've got too much business. Can you take some away? That that's that floors me. I haven't, done, I haven't done an answer to that one. They just keep going with a spiel. But I had a spiel. We can't walk into this world with a spiel. It's ready to dump on someone. Because that isn't going to work. I remember going back a couple of years back, and I've got a neighbour. Uh, his name's Chucky. And he's a chippy. Chucky the chippy. And he's, he's, got, he's got anger issues. He's, he's a fairly aggressive man, you know. And uh, I probably should use his real name, should I? You know, you know his real name. Anyway, don't, don't publish that. Um, but anyway, this guy lives near us, and we got to know him. And I just know, we, we got him reasonably well, but he'd tell me about situations that went down that weren't real good. And one day I see him out driving in his car, coming up our street. And I just go, hey, young Chucky, what's going on? He, he looked at me wide eyed. He said, someone's stolen my mountain bike. I believe it's a Middle Eastern looking dude. I'm looking for him. Why not find him? I said, mate, you want to come for a coffee? But it might be good to get Chucky off the street about now. Because uh, anyone Middle Eastern looking is about to cop it. <laughs> so he comes up and uh, we're sitting down chatting and, and uh, he's just built this beautiful house. This magnificent house just across the road from us. But he's in truckloads of debt. And he's going, oh, I just don't get by. I said, well, what, what do you mean, Chuck? He said, well, you know, I tried the whole hippie thing. I went and lived in Nimbin or wherever it was and did that whole thing and that didn't really work for me. And now I've got the mortgage and a big house and uh, it's still not really working either. He says, what do you think? So I listened to him for about half an hour. He says, what do you think? I didn't tell him the four spiritual laws. You know, it wasn't really the moment to jump into the spiel. I said, actually, Chucky, I've been thinking about getting a tattoo. I said, I've been thinking about getting a tattoo. And that tattoo would say, to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I said, because that's kind of where my life centers. And that's what I want to be able to wake up each day and, and have that face me and go, this is what life is all about. That's where my life kind of gets its sense of purpose. And the conversation wafted on. It didn't go any particular. But that was a response to him in that time. And I listened to what he was talking about and what he was dealing with. And it wasn't a spiel. So you may find yourself listening to your friends, listening to them talk about issues in their lives. Please don't feel you need to somehow get to talking about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins so that you can have eternal life. So, you know, you don't need to get to it. You need to love them again and answer the questions that they ask. My barber the other day was cutting the hair and, and we just finished, finished cutting and, he, and literally walking to the till and he, he said, oh, I just think, I think there's more to this world than we think. What do you think, Andrew? And I said, yeah, I think there is. He said, I think there's, there's someone else out there. And I paid my money. I said, yeah, I think you're right. See you next time. Now, that really, previously, that was the time when you had to jump in. Jump in and don't waste an opportunity. See, that would have been really weird because he had a client's there. That wouldn't have worked. You know, so listen to what's going on for the people. Listen, listen, listen. Next thing, third thing. Paul listens to what's going on around him and he goes to engage in conversation. How does he do that? 
just does what he does every day. He goes to work. All right? He goes to work. He runs a tent-making business. What a clever idea. Make tents. I can go on the road. I can do the missionary thing that I've been called to. And along the way, I'm going to sit down with other tent makers, other people who are trading, and we're going to talk. And we're going to talk tents. And we're going to talk life and footy. And we're going to talk all sorts of things. And sooner or later, we're probably going to talk about who we are as people. He goes to work, enters the marketplace. Now, I found when we planted that church in Butler, uh, one of the things that came out of it was really good was I accidentally started a business. Kind of accidentally in the sense that I didn't set out to start a business, but we, we built an investment house that sort of became a divestment house. <laughs> didn't go so well. So to try and finish the house, I started doing the irrigation and the, and the soap wells and all this kind of manual stuff myself just to save some dollars. And I came home at the end of the day thinking, I really enjoyed that. I feel really good. Then one day I hurt my back. And I rang the irrigation shop and said, what would it cost to send a bloke out to finish this job for me? They told me a figure and I laughed. And I thought, really? People are getting paid that to fix sprinklers? No, I might have a crack at that for fun because we were we had some fairly fluid working working situations. So I started a retail business. I said to Del, I started a retail business. She said, "Yeah, I know anything about retail?" I said, "I know, but I can learn." And sure enough, for the first probably couple of months, I'd rocked up to a job and every now and then I'd go, "I'm sorry, I got no idea," and I just have to walk away and leave. It was a bit humbling, a bit embarrassing. But over time, I got good at it. And do you know what else happened? Was I was working in my local community. And I got to know all these people. You know, as a pastor, we say we'd love to be in the community. We'd love to get to know the people. Yet pastors get far more kudos for preaching sermons and visiting church people than they ever do for hanging at the park or going to the beach. Now I could actually be with these people and get paid. I just thought, that's gold. So this little irrigation business kept on ticking along and, and over the period of 15 years that we ran it, I could share with you stories of people that we've met, people we've prayed for, people we've done things for, you know, weddings, funeral, well, it was a wedding, it wasn't a funeral. Have a guy was, I was literally fixing this guy's reaching while he's drinking a beer on his front veranda, talking about him getting married. He said, you don't do weddings, do you? I said, I do. He said, you want to have a crack at mine? I said, okay. He rang me later to do his dad's funeral. Um, you know, those things just come out of the workplace. Now, I know what some of you do for a living. And I know that, you know, in your workplaces, you're not allowed to go in and proselytize. Okay? That's not what you go to work for. You go to work to work. But in the workplace, there are still conversations in which you can engage with people about things of life and where the world's at. So, I find the workplace is an exciting place. It's certainly, you know, when I think of... When I think of how we move forward as a church, another thing I really suck at is marketing. Um, a couple of years back, I wrote a book. It's called uh, The Future is By Vocational. If I remember to bring them, I'd be holding it in my hand right now, but I forgot. There's a copy out the back. Oh, there's a copy out the back. Okay. I, I wrote a book because I actually think the future of Christian churches will be by vocational. Because if we take that approach, we don't just get a pastor and lock him in an office and get him doing church stuff. We get someone who will lead us into how to be missionaries in our communities at this period of history. So you get a guy with a job, 
who's already working with community, who's working with people here, he knows the world that you live in. He understands the struggle you have. I remember going to leadership meetings on a Tuesday night after I've been out in the sun laying turf all day. I just remember thinking, I know how you guys feel. You've all come home from work and you're knackered. So am I. Alright, so we had a rule that leadership meetings only go for two hours maximum. And stop me. So you understand people's world. Anyway, and you can relate to them in their world. Conversations flow. Paul listens to their worldview, tries to imagine what it's like to be them, and then he gets into conversation with them. He gets talking with people. And you know, if you get talking with people honestly and you're a Christian, then sooner or later, Jesus is going to come into that conversation because he's the centre of your world. It just happens sooner or later. And I imagine Paul, I imagine some of them, actually some, it says some of them think he's a bit whacked. They say, there's this crazy bloke who's talking about, you know, this, this bloke who he reckons rose from the dead. They said he's a crazy man, all right? And then they say, all right, look, what we'll do, come down to the Areopagus, come down and meet the boys, all right? And we'll talk philosophy and theology. And I'm trying to think what the Areopagus would be in today's culture. It might be like getting a gig on, on Q&A, all right? Q&A in front of a live audience or maybe you know, university campus, something like that, where your arguments are going to be ripped apart by the people. Now, remember Paul went to the synagogue and they were all very comfortable there? All right, here he is. This is him, the vulnerable one now. He's the one who's, who's if anyone's going to be in the back foot, it's going to be him. I tend to feel if we can do mission from that posture, rather than saying, hey, come to my church, where all my people will love you and surround you and you'll feel a little bit awkward, but we can do that. Maybe if we can go out to them in a place where they're comfortable, in a place where we're a little bit on the back foot, maybe that's a better posture. You know, I, th I think of that, that time when we, we moved into, into Butler and I had to go back to teaching, which it was probably the year of hell uh, that I had. But, and I came home from, I caught the bus from Meriwa over to Kingsway and back again each, each Friday afternoon. And each Friday afternoon, I'd go into the tavern and I'd buy a bottle of red wine. And that was kind of how I felt about teaching. I'd go home with a bottle of red wine. This is when I still used to drink. <laughs> it wasn't good. And, and I, I remember a couple of times being in the bar, being in the bottle shop, buying a bottle of red wine and looking into the bar. And the Merrow Tavern is a rough joint, right? Looking through the bar, there's a bunch of men high this drinking and carry on and just sort of thinking to you, that looks like a wild scene in there. And I drove home one day and as I was driving home, I felt like God said, those people won't be coming to your church, will they? I said, no, 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 they won't. He said, so how would you reach them? I don't know. He said, I felt like God said, why don't you go to them? And I said, what would that look like? Because I'm not one of them. What would that look like? I felt like he said, why don't you just go there each Friday afternoon, walk into the bar, order a beer, and if someone talks to you, talk to them. If no one talks to you, just pray for them. I can do that, I think. Do you know how I felt walking into that bar? With my sports shorts and my polo shirt on in the midst of high vis? Felt a little bit odd. Felt a little bit intimidated. Right? But I could just sit there. And you know what happened? People talked to me. 
and that actually we actually got into those serious questions of life. And I wasn't chasing it down, but it happened. And when I wasn't talking to people, I was praying. So don't be afraid. Well, be afraid, but do it anyway. You know, don't put yourself in positions where well, you're the one who's being uncomfortable. We go on. Paul starts with the conversations flow. The next slide uh, says he starts with their stories. He starts with their worldview. In fact, one of the things that I, I love about what Paul says, is he, he goes around and he, he starts with who they are. He starts with the fact that they have been made in the image of God. He says, uh, you know, I see an idol to an unknown God, that God I'm going to tell you about. He talks about, where is it, this verse that I'm looking for now? What's he say? Oh, that's right. God did this so they would seek him and reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. That's not scripture. That's a Greek philosopher called Epimenides. He's saying, as one of your guys has said, in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So he starts with their poetry, their culture, and he starts to speak to them from there. Starts to tell them about who Jesus or who God is from there. Actually, starts with God rather than Jesus, which I think is interesting. Starts with the Creator, which probably they could relate to. Okay. So he begins there, and when I think of how I was wired to share the gospel with people, it began with the fact that you are a sinner. It began there, and I actually think it was a bad beginning because it didn't acknowledge that we were first of all made in the image of God. We can start with, you know, a lot of people would not even admit to being sinners. I have a friend who lives at the top of the street who is the nicest, most generous, kindest, the best, he's a Labrador in human form, right? <laughs> and I love him. Now, if I said to him, hey, Carl, you're actually a pretty sinful bloke, you're a really dodgy bloke, you really need help, you need Jesus, I think you'd have every right to go, really? You're coming to me with this? You know, he probably lives a better life than I do, you know? But if I came in and said, hey, you know what? The way you live, that's how we were created to live. You know, can I help you get a better picture of that and help you understand where Jesus fits into that picture? He will listen to that. He has listened to that. So for Paul, he starts with their stories. And he, he does get to the point, all right? He gets to the point fairly quickly. I don't know if this is the whole sermon or if it's just been summarised, all right? But he goes on in verse 29, he says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver, an image made by human design and skill. He goes on, he says, okay, God's ignored that in the past. In verse 31, he says, He set a day when he will judge with the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Do you notice what name he doesn't use there? doesn't mention Jesus' name. Interesting, hey? I wonder if that was intentional. I wonder if he's just gone, there is this person, there is this bloke. Eventually, I mean, I think they will know who he's talking about, so it's not like he's hiding behind that. But he doesn't go all in. He, he starts, with, starts by saying, there is this person who will do this. So see this, when the time comes for the message to be shared... He doesn't step back. There is a time to actually say, you know what? God calls us to repent. There's a time to say, 
hey, look, you know what? This is what needs to get fixed up, you and God. The relationship is not right. Something needs to happen here. But we need to translate that into the language of the people we live amongst. You know how we do church Christianese and we talk in certain you know, uh, expressions that, that we understand? They don't understand them. People in our world might look at us and go, well, I don't really know what you're talking about. So we need to always be translating the language into their language. In the end, see what happens? Not everyone says, wow, great presentation, Paul. Thank you for that. Can we, be your fo- can we follow Jesus too? He gets three different responses. The first mob go, yeah, right. <laughs> Blokes rising from the dead. No worries, Paul. See you later. Because that happens. There's a second mob who go, all right. All right. We'll hear you again. Come back and we'll talk some more. And then there's a few people, including one of the Areopagus, one of the heavy hitters, who says, actually, we buy that. That rings true. He gets three different responses. I think for us, we often feel a little bit overwhelmed if we communicate something of our faith and we get a negative response first time. It can be hard to go back into that space. I see Paul want to go, he was ready to wear all three of those. I don't think the ones who jeered at him, I don't think the ones who said, well, we'll hear you again, I don't think it put him off. I think he just went, okay, this is good. This is a conversation. So I'd really encourage you to think about whatever's going on in your community and the people you know who don't know Jesus. Now, what you're having is a conversation. And conversations start and they keep going and they weave and they take turns and tangents and they come back to the main road, wherever the main road may be. But it's not necessarily going to be all finished up in one neat little package. That's Paul speaking to a culture not unlike ours. Trying to connect with a bunch of people who are not unlike the people who live around here. As we come to the finish today, you know, I had this image going through my head of what I've seen over the last probably few years that I've spoken to a few different churches. And you know how, who, who understands cricket? And we're going to lose a bunch of people. Hopefully, some of you understand cricket. Right? Well, hang with me the best you can, those you know. When you come to play cricket, the deal is you've got to get, the, you've got to get one batting side out twice. Right? You've got to get it out twice. And as happened last Sunday, when Australia was playing the West Indies, this was a much better illustration last Sunday, the Pooley game, than it is now. But there was one day to play. Australia needed to get 200 runs to win the game. All right? Can you leave me, Monica, from Germany? Yeah? All right. Okay, Australia needed to get 200 runs to win the game, and they had a whole team bring it back. You kind of go pretty easy, go. What about if, you know, our team captain said, actually, fellas, let's just play for the draw. Let's just play safe. Let's just make sure when you get out there, you just play defensively the whole time. Just that way, we don't lose. I don't know about you, but that's not the point of the game. The point of the game is not to play for the draw. The point of the game is to win to actually go out there and try to win. So even if you're five wickets down and there's 400 runs to get after, 
You get after it. Now, you know what I feel a lot is that there are many churches in our country who are playing for the draw. They're going, you know what? I reckon I've got 20 or 30 years left on this planet. We can just keep the doors open, keep some preaching going on, keep some nice people hanging around till, I, till I'm done. That'll be right. It's playing for the draw. That's not the aim of the game. The aim of the game is not to come each week and hear some nice sermons and be with some nice people. That's wonderful, right? But the aim of the game is to actually take some ground, actually do some things that contribute to seeing God's kingdom grow in this community. So I want to encourage you guys, whether you ever see my face again <laughs> after this morning, that your job is not to play for the draw. Your job is not to just go, well, we'll just see through to the close of play. Your job is to play for the win. To say, hey, we've got, we got some pretty heavy hitters back here. We get, a, we get someone who can really you know, make a mess of the opposition and to take it to them in that sense. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this community of people who live in this wider community. It's really going to pray that the witness of this church will be strong and beautiful and that when the words Margaret River Baptist Church come from the mouth of people in the community and say, what an amazing bunch of people. What a loving bunch of people. What a generous bunch of people. And perhaps they might spark some curiosity as to why they are those people. Father, we pray we would see people come to know you for the first time in this community and come to join this church, come to follow you. Father, we pray that that would be the next stage of life for this church. It will be a stage of growth and a stage of seeing your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. We pray we've done that. Amen.